Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHH-FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. Now, if you read the New Haven Independent, there's one person above all whom you read about more behind the headlines that makes New Haven tick, even though his name's never in the headlines. And that's Giovanni Zinn. He's the city engineer, which is two short words of saying he's involved in everything we write about New Haven. He started like Kim Kardashian, if you're a TMZ NHI, it's like, what's happening with the bridges? What's happening with flooding? What's happening with sidewalks? What's happening with traffic calming? What's happening with trees? What's happening with rec centers? What's happening with the Farm to Canal Trail? And that's just the beginning. That's like before lunch, right? Uh, yeah, there's a lot there. I think I think you just gave my wife a lot of fodder for uh, giving me a hard time tonight. <laughs> well, everybody loves to give you a hard time because everyone cares about this stuff, right? And you're the engineer who tries to figure out how to keep New Haven built, rebuilt, and newly built. Good way to say? Yeah. Right, well, I mean, you you write for a living, so you, you do it better than I do. <laughs> and you do stuff for a living. Okay. So Giovanni comes in once or twice a year to give us an infrastructure update. He makes time out of that incredibly busy schedule, and he, that's what he's in for today. So welcome, Giovanni, city engineer. Thank you for coming well, on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Always a lot of fun to be on here. So we're going to randomly walk through all different things in New Haven. We love to go take your picture at speed bumps. And sure. Flashing <laughs> signs and like getting in the weeds. One thing we get in the weeds that people care about so much in New Haven is street paving, milling, and sidewalk repair, right? That's like always been a big deal forever. Yeah. Like, we really care about that. We're a city of sidewalks. We want safe streets. And we'll talk about other kinds of safe streets later. But in terms of, like, big potholes, we're in that season right sure. now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, the very basics of infrastructure, right? You can't ever lose sight of, of the very basics. Um, and, and, you know, we're trying to, you know, I think we got four or five uh, sidewalk uh, crews out there right now, um, you know, developing our, our small contractors, uh, you know, some of our small minority new haven based contractors right, you've always started made an effort to get people yeah this year with. actually we've had another uh you know sort of one of those contractors who's grown who's got you know had a lot of success and you know even got one of our major contractors i think one of his people has started their own company so you know success begets success so uh, mm -hmm. so that's very important but yeah we're we're uh, all over the city trying to take care of sidewalks um i i know uh, department of parks and public works working on on potholes all the time and you know, we had our first uh, half of uh, DPW manages the paving program. They did the first half here, uh, you know, last month, and um, or I guess so it's August. So there's a three so. million dollar milling and paving. So that's separate from sidewalks. That's streets, right? Correct. Yeah. And how much is that going to go toward? Do you know, or is that not your bailiwick? Uh, it, it's a long spreadsheet. I know that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so we work with the, the Board of Alders, the Resource Allocation Committee, and, and try to do some streets all over the you city. You said that fast. Resource Allocation Committee. Just yeah. Tell me if so, I got this right. About, about 10 or 15 years ago, New Haven said, we need a way to decide which sidewalks and streets to fix because there's more than we can do. And right. people always believe that it's not fair, it's corrupt, it's somebody's friend. So you took the Board of Alders, who are the people most in contact with neighborhood, yeah, them create a committee where each neighbor talked about where it's needed the most, and they made the suggestions in conjunction with city officials in a transparent way. Correct. So yeah, so it's a it's a collaboration the between the city uh, departments and, and the board of alders, um, and uh, you know we also do uh, analyses uh, periodically. So for sidewalks, every four to five years, uh, it was five years the last time because of COVID. Uh, we we have an independent. Uh, consultant drive the entire city and, mm. and rate the sidewalks um oh. and sort of see over time you know i think we've done it pretty consistently since 2009 um i think the first one was in 1999 um and, and it's interesting to sort of i think their latest was 2021 um you know it, it's really interesting to see you know sort of the progress uh, that we're trying to make here um and uh similarly for pavement it's uh, the pavement condition index so, so how many that three million we don't know how many miles of road that fixes right uh, i'd have to look it up what yeah, about how many how many sidewalks are doing how much money and how many sidewalks so i i think we've been averaging about you know between two and four million um and uh we do about 220 locations or so a year uh that's addresses sometimes a, a little bit more uh it, it can vary in size um you know everything from a multi-block stretch to one address like i've um, seen you working yeah. out there for instance on winthrop Sure. Between Chapel and um, Edgewood, and that's two long blocks, right? 
I mean, it's one side. Right. So Winthrop, I, I think, was part of one of our, our major sidewalk projects. We were doing a bunch on uh, on, on Sherman as well um, and Winthrop. Um, but yeah, a lot of the lot of what we're doing, especially with our smaller contractors, are isolated repairs. You know, you have a, a tree uplift uh, in front of a house. You do three or four squares there. You go down the block. There's another tree uplift. And you know, aren't there two kind of kinds thing. of repairs? One is the asphalt spray that patches it in the short term, and then the other kind is the momish. Rip out what's there, put in a whole new sidewalk. So there's three, actually. So there's the asphalt repair, which is the very short term. The little um, gun that gets it going. Yeah, the middle, uh, the middle of the road is uh, DPPW, Public Works, does a uh, grinding contract. So they grind down differentials. So you know, a, a sidewalk what slab. What does that mean? So a sidewalk slab is about five inches thick, right? So if it's just poking up you know, three quarters of an inch, uh, you can go through with a, with a special grinding oh. equipment and, and grind out that level. Still plenty strong, you know. Still works. Gets rid of the the hazard there. Um, and, and one of the big focuses we have, you know, working with with Gretchen Knopf in our our, our disabilities office, um, uh, and then of course Michelle Dupre is now in uh, uh, Corp Council, uh, working on ADA issues, making sure that we uh, you know address those first and foremost, making sure people can get around our neighborhoods that have all different abilities. So there's patch. There's grind. And, and there's pour. The pour. Yeah. Patch, grind, and pour. Mm-hmm. And pour is when you, you tear out what's there and put a hole in the window. Correct. Yeah. Is the 220 locations all pour or is it a mix? Oh, uh, that's pour. Yeah. Um, and then you and also then... all year. And is there a season because of the weather or is climate change stretched it out longer? Like the peanut, Oh, yeah. You're able to work at by Yale Bowl there at uh, Yale and Chapel. You're able to work that almost the whole year when you thought you're going to yes. stop for five months because of climate change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're we're pouring sidewalk well into December. Uh, you know, I think two or three times in, in my time as a city engineer, we've even you know gotten into the first week of January. Uh, you know, Isn't really, it's temperature. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, we got to put blankets on at night and things like that. But you know, it helps the the contractors keep their workers employed, right? A lot of contractors lay people off for the winter, so it's a way to get more employment. Um, and, and I want to be sensitive to that, right? It not only gets the city a product, uh, but it all, and we want to make sure that we get a good product, right? You don't want to pour in, in sub-freezing weather. You know, you don't get as good of a product, but making sure we get a good product and keep people employed and more, most importantly, uh, have better facilities for, for the people in New Haven. So Giovanni, I have two questions about sidewalks that are more yeah. global. One is if, how, would we ever have enough money to keep up with what we need to keep up with for fixing sidewalks and streets? Or are we fighting a losing battle that we're doing our best, but there are always going to be more that need it, and that over time our infrastructure is debased? So, I, I mean, I, I think we're making a lot of progress in, in sort of making more targeted repairs. Um, you know, a decade ago, we were doing really concentrating on those long stretches. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I will point out that by city ordinance, the adjacent property owner is responsible for the maintenance of the sidewalk. I'm side not talking log. about responsibility. I'm yeah. talking about, like, can a city do it? <laughs> Can a city do it? Um, I, I don't think we have much of a choice. Like at the end of a year, yeah. are sidewalks and streets in better condition overall, not just the ones you fixed, or have more locations become unsafe than were fixed? Or are we Yeah, I mean, I think it? over the last uh, 10 we're or 15 years, we've been improving a bit. Well, that's yes. good. I, so I think, think some of the really bad ones are, are gone, and now you know there's still plenty of them that need to be addressed. But you but feel overall, at the end of the day, after all that hard work you do, yeah. That there are more sidewalks and streets that are better conditioned at the end of the year than there are ones that are newly done. Yeah, and I think our, our sidewalk survey backs that up. I'll have to dig into the GIS maps. You know, if you, I did this whole blink compare thing, right? And, and you can definitely see that the it, it's getting better. Um, you know, quantitatively, we can dive into the data and, and get a quantity. I like that that's possible yeah. because I think in the last 30, 40 years, you've had this idea that old cities are fighting losing battles. That infrastructure is old and we don't have t- endless money. Yeah. And we can't even just borrow for endless money. A lot of this is very reasonable capital projects yeah. bonding. And I'm glad to hear that, in fact, you can make progress. Yeah. And I think also, you know, the fact that there's been a lot of development in New Haven, um, you know, a standard condition on all of our site plan approvals is they have to fix the sidewalk. Oh, um, and so, so that helps that, as well. Yeah. Oh, that is good. Yeah. And then let me ask you about so trees. I live on a street that has really old street trees. They're beautiful. I really love sure. them. 
and in front of my house, and I'm, I promise 100%, I'm not asking you to fix anything, okay? That's not what my question <laughs> is, okay? Because once there was a guy who was going by, I knew, and he said, oh, I'll fix your sidewalk. I said, I don't want to do that because I'm reporting. You're not supposed to give me a favor, right? Yeah. And he said, well, I'll just patch it up. And it was kind of nice. He patched it up for a year. But, like, I'm not the only one. We're on our street, and there's so many streets like this in New Haven. These very old trees have big roots, as you know. Yeah. So even if you put a new sidewalk, and there was a new sidewalk. Like, the city's done a perfectly fine job on my street. Zero complaints. Sure. Okay? But I don't see how it's possible to stop these big roots from continually popping up the sidewalk. So now, like down the street from me, not where I live, I saw the city fix it and they did a good job. Yeah. Two years later, the whole thing was like its own little Mount Vesuvius and it was all like, you know, big slabs and there's nothing anyone did wrong, but I don't see, yeah. how do you stay on top of that? Well, it's a challenge, right? And I think it, it goes, speaks to the, you know, the sort of the more global challenge we have of the competing pressures that we have to deal with on our infrastructure. Right, Obviously, we want the trees. Trees are great, right? They perform a ton of ecosystem services. You know, you or I, a decade ago, did a study, and they probably updated it on how much, what value. We get millions of dollars soul. of value out of our, our, our street trees a year. It's the soul you of know. our city. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, you do have, you know, then these sort of repeat issues. And that's where, um, you know, as we replant our tree canopy, being very good about, you know, right tree, right place. Tell me about uh, that. So, uh, again, not, not my area is one of the things I don't do, but making sure that we plant uh, the correct species of tree uh, where it is. So if you're under power lines, it's something that's shorter. Um, oh, you know, I talked about that. Yeah. So showing us in the hill where you're planting the city. State gave you money to plant new trees all around the hill. And uh, they were showing me how when the wrong trees are planted, they get into the power lines, but there are other right. trees that won't. Yeah. And, and if you have a place that's completely open, you can build, you know, put a real shade tree in there. Um, so I think that helps also different tree species have different rooting characteristics. Uh, so making sure that you get species in, in constrained areas that don't have the same uplift on the roots. Well, the rubber hit the road in Dayton Street. So you have Correct. a more nuanced view of trees and sidewalks than the state in general, which is that you guys kind of go the extra, you make the extra effort not to tear down every tree to put in a new sidewalk. You try to find the ones right. that look like they're going to die or fall or pull up the sidewalk but save some of the others. The state came in because Dayton Street, one block there is, well, one and a half, I mean half depending which side of the street you're looking at. Uh, it's a connecting road with tons of traffic and they just had a few trees and because a few of them were too old and making it unsafe for people with wheelchairs, they wanted them all torn down, which yeah. was a terrible idea. The city said, we don't do it that way. We don't own that road. It's really up to the state. Right. Where does that stand? Uh, so there's obviously pending litigation from one of our um, one of our residents, you know, uh, standing up for the tree and standing with what's right. Um, you know, so I, I can't comment too directly on, on things. Uh, we've had plenty of discussions with the state. Um, you know, I, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Well, the um, state now, DOT is no longer against us, right? The DOT was not that they were bad people or had bad motives. Right. They were philosophically on a different planet from us. When they really did well, it was only for cars. Right? Sure. We don't think that way. We had a, an issue here with DOT where we just thought differently about trees. They right. thought they were helping people more their way. New Haven, we had a different approach. You say there's light at the end of the tunnel. Are they looking for a way to save some of those trees? Yeah, I think I think we're working together to find ways to uh, end up in a place that we're all comfortable um, mm -hmm. and that we have a way to uh, have the option to save as many of those trees as we can. Uh, you know, and some of them, you know, one or two of them, I forget the exact number, have, you know, health issues right. with the tree separately so that the tree is, you know, in decline anyway. Um, you know, th that's where the species question is, is so very important, So if it's a right? species you don't like, and it, 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 there are some huge trees there that aren't sick. Yeah. And they have huge roots. How right. do you build a sidewalk there? Well, very carefully. So we'd probably have to air spade around them. Mean? So instead of using a, you know, an excavator with a bucket to, to rip out and clear out the sidewalk around there, you know, we have to very carefully pull, you know, use uh, compressed air to blow the soil out of the roots, uh, you know, make get some space to pull the slab out, you know, use more compressed air to blow out the roots, then have uh, an arborist uh, trim the roots, apply a, you know, some sort of compound to prevent uh, illness from entering the roots. Uh, and I'll have all of it overseen by, uh, you know, Annie Mixell uh, of our Department of Parks and Public Works. So it's uh, it's a process. Um, you know, air spading is, is kind of manual labor, and uh, it's amazing. The guy's just there with, a, with a, like, a big pipe with a hose on the end of it and just but blowing that, a lot of compressed air. But isn't that part of your job? Like, whoever thought yeah. about it, isn't that kind of really fun? <laughs> you got this crazy argument. It was just that, but, like, it matters. And yeah. you just discovered something you never heard about air spading rather than excavator to get the dirt around the roots, but also make sure that there's a compound so it doesn't get disease. That's really, like, if you're a geek, yeah. I'm assuming you're a geek, 
that must be really interesting about yeah. solving problems with these kind of funny ways you'd never thought of before. Yeah. Well, we uh, we ran into that the first time. I think I ran into it was uh, on the green uh, some years ago when we were trying to put in some more uh, utilities sort of behind the stage. And so you could have more bathrooms and power and that kind of thing. And we had to do a lot of air spading then. And so, you know, it's transferring the lessons learned on other projects. Lessons uh, learned. So, that's yeah. a big that's a big theme. We're talking to Giovanni Zinn. He's the city engineer. He basically does everything we write about in the New Haven Independent and care about in our city, and he's here with an infrastructure update. Infrastructure is the word. Indeed. Learning from mistakes. So now you, you, you try new things like air spading. One new thing you tried was a peanut. We have our first peanut, which is really fun for me. I walk by yeah. it all the time, and the neighbors are planting there and everything. Peanut-shaped roundabout at where there were just tons of crashes all the time. At Yale, near the Yale Bowl at Yale Avenue in Chapel, you put in this peanut-shaped roundabout because right. the streets didn't meet in an even way to have a regular roundabout. It takes some getting used to. People think it's funky. People like me who enjoy change think it's really fun. People who hate chains are mad. <laughs> they have to drive around it. How's it worked out? Are people crashing into each other? Or uh, no, I mean, uh, so I, it's been a little bit since I looked at the crash data. I hadn't seen any crashes yet. Um, you really? know, obviously the people that work. There were like crashes every other week, right, before? Uh, yeah, there were a lot of them. There were 50-something in a three-year three, three uh, period. So I, I've got to go back and check the data. Um, I think we had one person drive up onto the peanut you knew uh, that was gonna happen yeah i that, that yes uh <laughs> that happens um you know our, our feedback from the from the adjacent neighbors has been that it's done what it's supposed to so which it's is not crashing slow crashes, people down and they're slowing people down yeah. and not crashing yeah i mean it does uh you know obviously anytime you do a, an intervention on, on speed in one place it reminds people of the speed that happens elsewhere so is right? edge with yeah. the other or is it with 34 well, I mean, just other parts of the same road, other parts of the neighborhood, you know, wherever, right? Um, it's, uh, you know, you're dealing with a fundamental issue with, with motorists that are just not respecting what the speed limits are and, quite frankly, not respecting the people around them. And so it's a challenge to, um, you know, develop infrastructure that it gives a strong message uh, of how you're supposed to safely conduct yourself. The first E of engineering education enforcement. Indeed. So, that, you know, it's fun. I love watching you, Giovanni, and asking you periodically what you learned from trying out stuff and seeing what worked, what didn't work, learn from those things sure. that didn't work and unintended consequences. There's no alternative if you want to make street safety, even though people get mad at you if they yeah. if they don't. Um, but your personality keeps them getting too mad at you. But they get well, mad at someone hey, in the city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like for one instance would be like you've done so much work in traffic calming. It's been so positive. And yeah. of course there have been some things that didn't work out the way we thought. Like the speed tables. Isn't that just where they raise like a hump at an intersection so you're going a little slower? Yeah, I mean, that's a raised intersection, which is a type of speed table. Speed tables don't have to be at intersections, uh, as you but can see on raised, Sergeant Drive. But yeah, it's raised. It's raised yeah. So you just put four of those in Sergeant Drive. Correct. Um, you put, I know on uh, Edward Street, I think there's one. Yeah, and, uh, there's a bunch of them across the city. So other places point. you put roundabouts, mm -hmm. other places you put speed bumps, and those are different. Speed humps. humps. And those are small because they're smaller and they're more dramatic. They're, they're they, shorter. Um, they, they feel a bit more dramatic, uh, particularly in larger vehicles. So, um, you know, they're, they're more for residential streets, the speed hump, even though they are 12 feet long. You know, a speed table. Uh, is a little less uh, dramatic for a, a bus or something like that. Still slows a lot of people down, and they're actually a bit taller than speed humps. Um, but especially with you know something like a bus, it, it's a more comfortable ride for the people in the back. And speed humps, speed bumps, and then um, roundabouts, and then narrowing streets, right? Right, yep, yeah. And what, isn't there one other people ask for? Because when people are just upset about speeding, they want something. Yeah. So like when... When, when Winthrop gets narrow on the north side of Whaley, there was just so much speeding, and you put bumps there. Yeah, humps. Humps. So oh, humps, bumps yeah. are the, the really slow speed stuff you see, like, in a parking lot. Oh, okay. Humps are the ones that you can go up to probably about 25 miles an hour. And that's worked there in that block, because that was a crazy block. It was yeah. really narrow, tons of cars, little kids. They went so fast. And so you kind of have to decide which one to put where. Yes. What's something you've learned about the one that didn't belong in a certain place? How did you get to that knowledge? So, um, trying to think of a, of a good example, uh, you know, we, we were doing something uh, several years ago on, uh, on Ramsdale street, right? We mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, some islands and then we have speed tables on either side of it. There are a lot there and you're not yeah. talking, not talking East Ramsdale on the um, North side of Whaley, but you're talking about in the Beverly Hills neighborhood. Right. Yeah. South of Whaley. Yeah. We had one right at the start that, you know, I, I think it was a little too abrupt and, you know, we had started constructing it and we had someone illegally park in a really unfortunate location and we ended up, you know, working with the neighbors. We didn't end up completing that. But, 
Um, you know, I, I think the, the there's a lot of lessons, little lessons learned about the the slopes, and uh, you know, one of the things that ends up being really critical is when the the pavement contractor is uh, putting in the, the there's a transition on a speed table between the the steeper slope on the side, and then the top has a certain slope to it in order to shed water. Uh, making sure that that's a fairly hard crease and not kind of rounded over um, re- really has a big impact on, on people's perception of of how much it slows people down. So there's there's some lessons learned there. Um, you know, I, I think the uh, the old engineering mantra of keep it simple, stupid is is important uh, in all these things. It, it's easy to, you know, especially if you're just starting out on something you take the like the the, the NACTO book right national association of city transportation officials has all sorts of different interventions for for traffic calming and you know you take a project and you throw all of them in all of them right um and, and that can get a little too much and too complicated and get a little too and cute for your own good. New, i've been getting used to in a fun way this new mix of measures that you're finding behind hill house on crescent street or on Yale Avenue between Edgewood and where people are just really speeding and it curves. Right. Where you have a bike lane, you have a protected lane, but it's not physically protected. You have these delineators. Yeah. And then, and then you have walking and cycling on one side and then parking. Right. Sort of in, in the middle rather than right next to the curb. Is that working? Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I think it's mostly working. Cause I kind of right? had the feeling we're going to see a lot of those everywhere in the country, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, it's new. You get used to it. And yeah. First it's here like at Edgewood and Yale in front of Edgewood school, people kept running into those planners. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that just speaks to, you know, that, that last few percentage of vehicles that will grossly, um, you know, not follow the law and speed far in exceedance. Right. And, and there's only you you can't design a road where it's physically impossible to speed right that's a road that pretty much everyone else will have a very hard time getting down uh modern vehicles have you know so much performance so we have to factor in crazy drivers uh, and yeah limit, well limit, that's, many, limit their options limit their incentives yeah i mean that's part of that and also that's where enforcement comes in there's a part for that you know we talked about you know the legislature and what they passed with, with cameras in and this past good, session yeah. you know there are things like that that'll help a lot of nothing substitutes for good infrastructure that makes on a wider scale less of the problem yeah i, I think infrastructure really you target towards that 80 percentile speed you know making sure that 80 90 percent of people drive that inter- infrastructure but it's so much correctly. Of a safer, I mean, it's so much of a safer road now in those yeah. curved places. Now, let me ask you quickly about the Edgewood cycle track that was going from right. Forest down to Park Street. After many years, half of it remains not built after Winthrop. And I know yeah. partly it was getting parts right. from, the, um, yep. from the supply chains, but why from Winthrop to downtown is it still not built? All right, so the... Um, you know, we were trying to get the, the Winthrop intersection lit because uh, that's a very important transition between the two. So we were finally, after a year plus of delay on our uh, traffic controller, I think in June we got it, uh, installed it. Um, of course, then you run into immediately another supply chain issue, which is mm. the uh, the meter can on the side, right? The electric meter can. The little humble can? electric meter can. Yeah, the what little box that? that holds your electric meter. Oh, okay. That's uh, in in electrician's parlance, apparently a, a meter can. <laughs> but uh, you know, we had reserved one and had it. The supply because of the delays with the, the cabinet. Um, you know, the, the supply house released it to someone else, and so we had to really scramble. They're two to four months out, um, and uh, we actually ended up buying one off of an electrical contractor that was doing unrelated work uh, at the city. They had an extra one, and uh, you know, we had to hop on that. So that's been installed. We're now right now working with UI to energize the service. Hopefully that'll be very shortly, uh, and we're looking to do start doing all the pre-mark, uh, sort of the, uh, you know, the faint white lines that show the uh, striping machine where to go. Uh, probably in the next couple weeks here for, for the rest of Edgewood Avenue. So, so when when will it all be done? Um. Well, I I'd, I'd have to tell you exactly when UI is going to energize that service. No, no, ballpark, <laughs> like within a few months, like the end of yeah, the year. Yeah. Oh yes. I I've gotten into a lot of trouble predicting the yeah. end of this project. I mean. Honestly, it's probably four weeks worth of work. Um, it's just a question of when we can sequence it all here. And then for the so. other stretch, you get people get beat up a lot. I don't think it's fair to ever beat up you guys. You're trying hard. You spent years listening to everyone on the Westville side sure. and up to Troop about how 
when individual property owners aren't with the plan. You came up with all these workarounds yeah. for them, which actually ended up working better than the other part because you had like the bike lanes going up on sidewalks, sure. which actually were separated from cars. Yeah. Then you have that stretch between, you know where I'm talking about, from like Yale Avenue to Edgewood Park, where we yep. had delineators because we didn't have money for physical barriers like you were originally yeah. opening, where you have like concrete or something that separates yep. the car. So those kept getting knocked down. I saw it today. All of them got knocked down. They just put up new ones again, and already they're getting knocked down. Is that the solution, or what do we learn from that? So, I mean, I think you, you, you look at sort of the, the national standards and trends of what we're trying to do here, and, and I think delineators are a, a transitional step, right? Um, they're, they're a way to do these projects and create infrastructure that doesn't take many years and millions of dollars. Um, are they the, the best solution? They're not. Right. And so we're starting to see a lot of cities look at, you know, partially using concrete barriers. A lot of stuff we're doing is, you know, lessons learned. Right. I mean, but you, I don't, think you can't afford it. Right. Isn't putting it above the curb. Yeah. So is that the reason that we had delineators because you just couldn't afford right. to put. Concrete so there? if you do, um, you know, curb, for example. So if you look at a lot of our major corridor projects that are that are happening, say State Street or Whitney Avenue, Sherman, um, Water Street, uh, Shoreline Greenway, you know, less about five, ten projects that, you know, we're really looking at putting bike lanes up above the curb. Um, you know, I think drivers, uh, uh, motorists really understand sort of the space within the curb as being, uh, you know, keeping that a little more predictable. I, I think having that sort of off-street sense if you're above the curb is, is beneficial as well. So a lot of our projects going forward have that. Um, so it would be examples of that, the State Street where you're rebuilding, State which we're going to get yep. to. Um, Whitney Avenue, Sherman Parkway, Water Street, uh, Howard Avenue, wow. um, you know, Shoreline Greenway. Yeah. So a lot of those projects are, you know, they're above the curb and, you know, they we're able to tap into state dollars for that. Are those built yet or no? Uh, well, State Street, uh, which we're going to get to, uh, the first part of it's going out to bid. Um, you know, the rest of them are, are not that far. All right, let's behind. get to that. You're talking about yeah. Giovanni's in. We're trying to cram nine hours worth of infrastructure <laughs> updates, which we're not really going to do, into less than an hour. The way he crams a decade's worth of infrastructure work into every month of the city, yeah, we're trying the city, and you do you do a very good job. Thank so you. State Street. This is a very interesting project. Right. Talk about lessons learned from the past. We ambitiously reworked State Street in the 80s, correct? Right. From Grove Street or maybe all the way up to um, the I-91. Yeah, it's basically 991, that I-91. All the way down to now. where the Coliseum was and yep. the police station. And we made it into a fast-moving boulevard. I mean, the worst part was after. I can't believe we did that after urban renewal 20 years later. We still tore down a lot more stores. That was weird. I remember yeah. going to the fruit market and stuff there. I mean, we just tore down everything of parking lots and fast roads. It was a disaster. Right. So now you got all this money from the state to try to do it right. Yeah. We're trying to narrow the streets again, build stuff again, make it safe for cyclists and pedestrians. Is that a right. good summary? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. How much so, money is that? Uh, it's six point. I think between the the, the state money and our share, it's uh, around six point seven, if I remember correctly. It's in the six uh, six million. Uh, I forget the decimal point exactly. And that's going fast. I mean, think how long it took the one cycle track, but here you're rebuilding a major artery. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, I think uh, they're playing people that wish it went faster. <laughs> but we had a press conference about this last fall. Yeah. So and it's, you're already starting work? Yeah. We, well, we're starting the section north of Grove Street, which has uh, fewer signal impacts. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're finishing up our signal design. We're pretty much there on the civil design. Um, you know, I, I think it's part of, uh, you know, quite frankly, our state partners, uh, DCD, making sure that we, uh, we show progress. So you're, you're you actually going to have shovels in the ground this fall? Uh, we're going to have a contract th this fall. Um, you know, I think depending on shovels in the ground really depends on exactly when in the fall. So we're talking and, about from uh, Grove Street to the I-91. And what's going to happen there? Uh, so, again, trying to uh, move the traffic more to the west side, establish the, uh, the, the bike lanes on either side of the street. So north of Grove Street, the design has a bike lane that's above the curb on either side of the street. Um uh, that's true. I mean, I'm a yeah. bad bike rider, but I'm always feeling a little hairy there. It's not the end of the world. I mean, but you're yeah. riding in a city, but I always right. feel like cars are going fast, going onto highways, things yep. like that. Yeah. yeah, and it reduces the, the lanes down to a lane in each direction as we do through the rest of the corridor. So it's a way to sort of start uh, working our way south. On and will the, there be buildable land on the west, on the east side? Uh, eventually, yes. When the whole corridor is done, there's, a, I think, four lots, uh, if I remember correctly. But not up at that end. Uh, there is uh, 
there's that little uh, parking. I, I, I don't parking know if it's one of the uh, it's it's one of the smaller ones. So it and what's going to happen with the right one overhead there and the interchange there? So I I mean there's no change to the interchange. We're actually going to uh, make the highway on ramp. Uh, it's still going to be some like 15 20 feet wide, but, but you know, narrow it a bit. Like that still? Or are you going to make it more like a right angle? Uh, it's going to be more of a right angle. Yeah, that, that's, that's what makes doing. it safer. Yeah. Yep. That's a big deal. Yeah, no, it is. It's uh, awesome. it's gonna be transformative, and and in the eventual project, you know, it, what it does is it takes the one part of the Farmington Canal line that's gonna that's on street right in Phase Four, uh, in, in New Haven, and, and breaks it brings it off street, which and is and that's a big deal. another Farmington Canal is an example. You've been that for years, and there's that last chunk because it's the middle of a dense city. Right, that's just so complicated. Those last few blocks, you had the FBI building built. So you could no longer go underground because right. people were ready to blow up the FBI, which is fair worry. Yep. And then you also had all these properties right by Audubon Street where mm -hmm. everybody else had to weigh in and give approval for right away. It's been delayed, delayed, delayed. It was supposed to be done last um, December. Now, what's the status now? Uh, I have to defer to our city plan department who's managing that project. Um, I believe they're trying. I think they're in a summer shutdown period right now because of the, um, uh, the summer camp uh, over there on Audubon. Um, I know they're they're looking to wrap up here soon, though. Because I noticed one thing was weird is they started work last year when you had the groundbreaking for the Audubon next mm -hmm. phase of apartments, and there was that island that's at Orange and Grove, catty corner from the apartments, across you from the FBI. There was all this work being done for a few days, and am I wrong that then it just stopped for like six months? Yeah, I'm not sure of the specifics that? of that. Sorry, it was weird. <laughs> I remember saying, "Wow, that's happening fast." Yeah, and then like months later, it's still like. It wasn't there. Yeah, I, I know there's been some, you know, they've been working on some stuff with the intersection and the traffic patterns there, but I The I, stuff we don't see about, yeah. like, traffic lights and things right. like that, and it's a state road. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure of the, the specifics. And then another thing you're doing that was so interesting, Giovanni, one reason you probably miss a lot of nights at home is you were meeting with neighbors in all these different neighborhoods about commercial corridors, and you were doing all these extra steps where for months you were going back to them about Whaley Avenue section, Valley Street, Whitney Avenue... Right. I believe Howard, I believe Townsend, I was, if I'm not mistaken, where you went back and forth a lot yep. about how you'd like to make those streets safer. Sure. Where yes. are we on Yeah, those? so that's our Whitney major... A Whitney Avenue was really complicated because right. there's not enough room for everything that happens there. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're, we're working through the designs. You know, we got a ton of feedback, you know, really thankful to, to the neighborhood. But is it coherent? Um. It, and it has themes the to it. Individuals are incoherent. But right. Don't they want opposite things? Some people want to ride their bikes. Some want to drive their cars. Some want their kids to cross to go yeah. to the school. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different demands on it. I think everyone, the one thing I got to say is, you know, one of the wonderful things about New Haven is everyone wants to be safe, right? And everyone wants safety and, and understanding how to really put your finger on that is tough. Um, you know, I think we hear themes about it. And then, you know, it's our jobs as, as the professionals to, to bring in, you know, the best practices from our industry into how to achieve those themes. So, so getting where across are we, are what we actually have. fixing those cars up? Do you have a plan? Do you have a consensus yeah, so we have plans that we're working on for all those different corridors. We've gotten commitment to fund letter. I think we've gotten four commitment to fund letters from the state over the last uh, two two months um, uh, on various of those corridors. We're working through design. Uh, we've done a ton of surveying out on all these intersections. You know, I, I think a lot of the, the public participation really comes at the, the concept stage, right, and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of the first set of design plans. So what are you um, going to do figuring out the How do you decide that area by the Whitney, right by the Hamden border as you approach there and it gets so narrow by the school? and Eli Whitney and everything. What, what are you going to be doing there? I mean, I, I think we heard the, the general, you know, most people understood what, what people it, wanted. You know, they, there was different options for configuration of the bike lanes, um, you know, and, and we'll be <laughs> happy to share that here soon. Um, you know, one of the things we've also figured out is that we have to do, uh, we really need to replace the signals along Whitney Avenue as well. So we're doing a, a separate project uh, starting to, to look at that. Um and you know they got the old trolley oh, poles the and all that about kind of stuff. Two-way bike lanes on one side, right. or, or bike lane on either side. Yeah, I mean, I, both of those configurations are obviously much safer than what you have now. Um, you know, we've also tried to look at the the split of where we're seeing you know people coming from, whether from the east or the west uh, on bikes. Um, you know, it I, is I think hard. I think fine. You know, there's also a lot of buried underground utilities that are challenging. You know, I think at the at the end of the day, we're going to end up with a with a two way cycle track. And uh, you're going to have side. it raised. Yes, so that's above the curb. Yeah, now, you got a lot of kids, including really little kids. Yes, Do you I ever have... come home when you're dealing <laughs> with that kind of stuff, and people have been yelling at you about bike lanes. Like people get really mad about bike lanes, and like part of your job is to be yelled at about bike lanes. And then, like, how does that compare to going home and like 
taking care of human beings. It's like, <laughs> what's that like for a parent? Well, you know, it, it, it's both tiring forget, and energizing. They deal right? with human yeah. beings, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, my, you know, I, I think my wife unfortunately gets the worst of it and has to remind me that uh, that I'm not at work. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's no, it, I mean, obviously, my kids give me a lot of a lot of purpose and energy. And it is uh, a good, it's a good yeah. switch off the ground. You yeah, and, and it's very, yeah. very cool to be able to, you know, as my kids are driving, we're driving around the city, and and you know, oh, daddy, you're working on that. You know, what's going on with and that? And also, am I wrong? Don't you even at a young age explain to them some stuff? Like, you know, did oh, you yeah. see we raised that so people could ride their bike? Did you see we put those little bumps on the sidewalk so that someone who's blind can touch it and get across the street? Do you tell them things Yeah, like we've that? got a little uh, little whiteboard in our in our living room. Really? That, uh, my, yeah, you know, for for my kids, they, they've drawn and all that stuff. And they know that when daddy's picking up the, the whiteboard marker, it's a, it's a lecture about infrastructure. Because, you know, my kids growing up with journalists, <laughs> when they were really little, yeah. they would, like, study newspaper pages and why words were long or short in a headline. Oh, wow. Or, like, we'd get the Weekly Standard, and my daughter's sick. She'd look at it for the longest time. And she'd say, I said, what are you confused about? She said, well, don't they always make fun of the people in the way they draw the picture, which they did? Yeah. And like, so they grew up with this like sophistication, even though they didn't go into journalism. I'm wondering if your kids growing up are going to be these like infrastructure geeks who know. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I hope so, Air right? Spades <laughs> and stuff. Air spades. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I you they're actually. It's it's good to get their opinions on things sometimes. Yeah, you know? I always find that too. Like um, little kids kind of see things you didn't see. Yeah, you know, especially on some of the park stuff and playgrounds and things like that, and just uh, you know, kind of an unvarnished take on on what things look like and whatnot, and and you know, from someone also that doesn't really know. <laughs> You know the, the whole backstory about a particular right, they just location. Right, play on a playground. Yeah. That's a good perspective. And we're talking to Giovanni Zin, city engineer in Dateline, New Haven, WNHH infrastructure update. Tell me something, and you know it's okay if you don't remember it. Something you one of your kids pointed out about a park you might not have thought about. Um, you know we're we're starting to to work right now, and uh, maybe we'll talk about this in a little more detail on Long Wharf Park, right? Uh, this big reimagining. And you just there. got money for the park, part. right? Yes, so we and got there are twelve of million. Money. There's the yeah. development for other parts too, you know? right? So, um, but that's for the park. That's right? for the that's park. The open yes. space. So, what are you yes. going to do there? So, it, it's really a transformation. We had a you know a wonderful public meeting. I, I think the plan overall has been very well received. Uh, you know, looking to recapture that area really from the being a frontage road and into a park. So, um, you know, discontinuing uh, uh, Long Wharf Drive north of the the high, highway on and off. Uh, you know, creating a promenade along the water. Uh, you know, creating more amenity space around the the, the food trucks, uh, in, in improving their space as well. Um, you know, creating sort of a large grassy area with a big playscape. Um, you know, improving the parking situation down there, not only for the park, also the boathouse. Um, you know, really creating more uh, bike, uh, a, a more um, pedestrianized experience down at down at Long Wharf, and one that really kind of. Has you know we were so successful with, with with food truck paradise. You get thousands of people down there. Um, you know when I talk to people from out of town, you know yeah. people that don't come to New Haven for anything else come for the food trucks, right? And and it's now a time for the uh, infrastructure to catch up to that. And what's something your kids said about Long Wharf Park? Well, we were looking at sort of different options, the wide scale of of options on like the playscapes, for example. And, and you know we're still trying to figure that out, but you know just scrolling through a. 20 different renderings you know you get um and seeing what catches their eye and what doesn't you did and, that yeah and what uh, they tell you what caught their eye they really like big slides Ooh. you know well, you, what do you, you think I, I mean i love big slides too right <laughs> 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 you know i i uh i um uh you know we were i was on up at the cape a, a, a couple weeks ago with my family we went went to a water park that that uh and uh, they had these big water slides and i remember you know like encouraging my kids to go up the water slide, so I had a, an excuse to ride it myself. So oh, fun! Um, and yeah. now also, longer if you have a separate plan, the responsible growth plan, yeah, with like the retaining wall. You've been working on this for years because that yeah. is a big part of our flooding. You got federal money. We're part. We got early out of the gate to be part right. of the demonstration project to draw plans. How are we doing with that? So, I mean, there's probably about five projects through, yeah. through Long Wharf. You've got the zoning, obviously. There's, there's a committee meeting tonight on it. There's the Army Corps project, which is the wall and the pump station. How's that going? Uh, well, we actually met with them this morning. We're, uh, we signed our design agreement with them. The state is probably days away from executing that. So that'll uh, unleash sort of the whole design effort here for a couple years on that. Um, you know, really great. The Army Corps has assigned their sort of permanent project manager to it so you know we he came down a couple weeks ago to tour the site and you know we had a meeting with him today uh really 
uh, you know, positive. I think people, you know, big thanks also to our state partners at Deep and and DOT. You know, DOT obviously has given us a lot of land to do this. Um, so we got a couple of years of uh, design in here the meantime. If you have more of a passive park there, will that help with containing flooding and absorption, or is that an ignorant statement? Uh, it, you know, I, I think it. It doesn't really make a ton of difference. The fundamentalist uh, the you point, said yeah. is that they kind of built Long Wharf with fill and they could have used three more feet. Correct. Yeah. Is that ever going to be addressed or are we working around that? So I, I think that's where the responsible growth plan comes into it. You know, how do we permanently or permanently the next hundred years address uh, this flooding um, and, and getting structures elevated and infrastructure elevated? Um, you know, I think is really the important thing. I mean, you, you only have so many choices in the face of And how of do you get them elevated? Um, well, you know, there's a, for that much land, it's a fairly low number of parcels. A lot of them are looking for redevelopment. I think that's the, the way to do Wait, it. Do you tell through, them to put more fill in or no? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the geotechnical conditions, the soil conditions in Long Wharf are pretty poor. So everyone has to use, oh, it's called a deep foundation, right? They have to do, you know, put piles in, right? Everything's built on piles down there. So um, FEMA has a process called the Lomer F process. The FEMA's <laughs> Federal Emergency Management Administration. Yes, and the letter of map revision F, uh, which allows you to use non-structural fill, um, you know, in unconfined areas. So, like, you know, think of it this way. If you fill a little bit of the, the flood zone along the harbor, the harbor is huge. It's connected to Long Island Sound, which is connected to the Atlantic Ocean. You're not causing the floodwaters to go somewhere else they're just not coming up onto the land as much as opposed to like a river system where if you fill one area and you know eliminate the floodplain in one area you're creating a floodplain somewhere else so in an unconfined area you can do that um and basically what it does is fema has this process where you know ahead of doing construction you can say i'm planning on doing this and you know using this kind of fill and this is going to be my site can you you give me a letter then guaranteeing that I'll be out of the flood zone or that the flood zone will be remapped and, and adjusted in that sort of way? So that gives everyone... Uh, so they uh, can go there and sure, which right. is getting harder and harder. Exactly. I'm sure getting insurance yeah. on building a long roof is no picnic. Right. So what about like Fusco? You gave, that was a big interesting dilemma. We wanted to have development there, people living by the water. Right. But with the era of climate change, there's going to be flooding and they're building this big tower. Yeah, are they still building it or is that on hold? Uh, I, I, my understanding is they're still working on it. Um, you know, I... We, we see them from a regulatory perspective, uh, you know, in engineering, uh, you know, through the city plan process. You know, that that was a place that, you know, they were building up, right? They had a finished floor elevation of elevation 15. Does um, that mean they're building a 15 feet of elevation before you get there? So if there's a flood, you can have 15 feet of water before you flood people? Uh, it's it's an elevation. So um, the it's, we set sort of an artificial zero line. It's called NEVD 88. Um, you know, high tide right now is probably at elevation 3 to 3.5, depending on how high of a tide it is. Um, the still water elevation in a 100-year storm event is 9.6. Um, you know, the flood zone, you know, with all the wave action and everything is at uh, 12 right now. So, um, you know, or 13, depending on so where you are. Isn't so 15 is a, is a couple of extra feet. But that's not um, 100 years. Well, yeah, so it would, uh, you know, that would probably be outside of the flood elevation, even with the predictions of, uh, of, uh, of uh, climate change. So, yeah, I mean, is it going to be here in a thousand years if the polar ice caps melt? No, I mean, my house, which is at elevation 80, is not going to be here. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's obviously this big arc of humanity that we see over the next hundred years, the next thousand years, right? Um, and really sort of our planning horizon at this point is those hundred years. You know, that's the life of infrastructure. Fair. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. yeah. You're thinking for the next hundred years. And I promise to let you talk about bus rapid transit. We got money yes. to um, to build these extra fast lanes on major mm -hmm. corridors like Dixwell and Whaley and Grand, I believe, and Howard, yes. if I'm not mistaken, or Congress, where there's going to be a special lane for not the regular buses, well, the same amount of buses, right. but extra fast buses that don't stop as often. Actually, so it is extra buses, so it's an overlay. That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Separate buses from the right. regular. Yeah, yeah. And um, I had a couple of questions about that, but tell me about that. Why is that a good idea? So that's a huge thing. So the uh, the city partnered with the state, um, uh, Connecticut Department of Transportation, put in a, a raised grant application, a competitive federal grant. It was uh, selected. Um, you know, there's other uh, state money that was on the last bond commission and a commitment, most importantly, from the state to, to build this out uh, here through the end of the decade. Um Improving uh, tra bus transit in corridors that carry, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 people a day, uh, you know, a very large amount of people. Um, 
and uh, you know improving those the, the lives of those people and taking bus service away from you know a transit option of last resort and into something that is you know time competitive, cost competitive, competitive in every way with, with uh, the private vehicle. And then you know it's so interesting. Well, one of the questions I had was so they say it's going to take them three years to design it. Start right. construction early as twenty twenty six, be done twenty twenty nine. Right, that's a long process. Is it is it's so complicated it is. with so, all the traffic signals on these narrow, even busy yeah, the corridors. traffic signals. I think there's seventy something traffic signals among the three towns in, in the project, and uh, you know there's a lot of work to do there. Uh, you can't fit bus lanes everywhere in the project, so some of it's going to be what's called transit signal prioritization, so that the buses uh, are able to sort of keep moving through a corridor with green lights. Uh, there may be special bus signals uh, to help the the bus get in front of the traffic. Uh, you know, it's something that actually we're planning for State and Chapel as part of the State Street project. Um, and, and generally, you know, those little annoyances that that make bus travel. You know, the death by a thousand cuts of the of the bus schedule. Uh, try to eliminate those. I got to tell you, I really like the city buses. I like the drivers. I like the clean buses. Yeah. I have a few complaints on the non-main corridors about the hours they travel. They're still a little bit at those old work schedules but it's overall pretty good yeah no and i think it's there's a renewed focus on it at the state level and big thanks to commissioner Ucalito and and to the governor for their huge uh, support here and also our our delegation you know the day it got approved me at oracle independent there was an article in oakland side which is like the independent of oakland yeah and people were complaining about them they have them they built them right and the same people who cheered them Public transit advocates and you know all the all the planners and goodwill said this is what we want to build. They said they become dangerous and people are getting killed because the drivers drive into them because the traffic is slower now with only one lane of traffic on these major corridors. The drivers are going into the bus lanes recklessly and running over people, right. and speeding, and they're actually complaining against those same city officials saying we want to get rid of the BRT lanes. Isn't that interesting? I guess yeah. it's not unintended consequences. Well, there always is, right? I mean, in anything we here. do. I, I think that's where having, you know, good design um, and, you know, having designers who have national experience and can pull from Oakland, from, you know, you know areas so where this there's might be the good. lesson learned. This is learned. one we didn't do first. We do a lot of things first, which I love about New Haven. Right. It's part of why I love to live in New Haven. Yeah. Maybe it's okay in this case they went first so we could look at how right. they did it. Although you got the peanut from someplace in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to uh, you know hard to be first on <laughs> stuff. Well, but here's what I want to ask you before you go: How the hell do you keep track of all this stuff? I mean, how do you even keep track of all the different spreadsheets you have? Like you just met with engineers this morning to move along one process to build the re retaining wall, and that was a big deal. And you just met with the guy who had the extra metal box, so you can now do the Winthrop, so you could do the. Yeah. the how do you keep all this in one place in your head? Well, it, it's. Uh, I, I, the good news is I don't have to, right? I mean, the best, I mean, the most important thing we do as, as city department heads is hire staff and hire really wonderful staff. And I have a wonderful team and, and the city team in general is great. Um, you know, it's, uh, it keeps you active though. It keeps but your the mind person sharp. In charge <laughs> is keeping track of more things to make yeah. sure those staffers are doing it. Yeah. Do you have any secrets? You're just really good at spreadsheets. I, I I've always had a, a pretty good memory, so that's helped a lot. And then just, uh, keeping track and checking in and, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, just being around the city, right? I, I really like to make sure as I'm going to meetings around the city, drive through areas where we're doing stuff. You notice stuff, you you know, it reminds things, jogs your memory. And does that but, keep, yes. how do you keep it fun and not get overwhelmed by all the change you're trying to make over such a long period? Uh, you know, I, I think it goes back to going through the city and seeing how, how it improves people's lives. You know, I mean, I love driving through the city with my kids, you know, and, and showing them what we've worked on and how things have gotten better and there's so much more to do, really. You can't overemphasize how much there is to do uh, and still improve on. But, you know, I, I think it, we're getting there. We are. We're making progress. We are. It's always inspiring to talk to Giovanni Zinn about all this stuff. I mean, it's kind of interesting to look back in this interview, how rapid fire we went through so many projects and you instantly knew what step they were at, which level of which government hat was weighing into which part. I think yeah. it's awesome. So <laughs> I gotta stay on it. That's kind of fun. <laughs> thanks for doing that. All right, thank you very much, We'll let you Paul. get back to work. Thanks. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks to Harry Droz for working the controls. We're gonna take it out, the Afro-Semitic experience, as always, with I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm -hmm.